Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Like A Real Book Club. My name is Ashley. I'm Christina. I'm Jorraine, and this is the book club where we talk about books and just about everything else. Shit, I forgot that part. <laughs> I was supposed to say that part. No, yeah. <laughs> okay. How have you guys been? Um, silence. Sad um, girls club. I love that. I was just about to say. This too much. Like, damn, we really have to think about this. It's too much. Yeah. You know that gif of no that not gif, that meme with um Wayne Marshall just staring yeah. out the window. Yeah. <laughs> the feel follicle meme. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> like feel follicle serotonin. <laughs> if you have it, please bear. Not much. I don't want much. Just like if you have a crumb, I'll take it. Um I really want to try to answer this question as honestly as possible. And what I can say is that I am, some days are okay. And then some days are just like awful <laughs> emotionally. And uh, I don't know how, there's no balance. There's no like middle ground. There's no neutral or gray area. I'm just like very hot or very cold. And that's a problem. because that sounds I'm going exactly insane. like balance to me. How does that sound like balance? No, I don't. I don't, well, I don't. I don't want that type of extremes. balance. I don't want that kind of balance. Give me a nice gray area, please. <laughs> so you're not looking for balance. You're looking for something else, something mild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How are you, Jane? Um. I'm I'm distracted. I think that's the word I would use to describe my days recently. I feel very distracted. And then every night I go to bed, I'm like, oh, tomorrow we're going to do this and it's going to be great. And then I wake up and I'm like, oh, we'll try again tomorrow. <laughs> like, this is not <laughs> working out. <laughs> Let's just eat and try to survive and we'll, we'll do good stuff. So I haven't been very, I haven't been, um, the traditional definition of productive. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm using the time to come to grasp with ideas of self-determination um, and not being scared of me realizing that every every breath in my future is determined by me and what I do. So just... Wow. As, what yes. the fuck? <laughs> So, like, trying not to see that as scary, but trying to find comfort in control. I, I think before I've pushed away, or I'd like pushing away my power, or pushing away my control in some higher institution or some higher ideas. And because the thought of me being in control was very scary. Um, so I'm, I'm coming to learn to love the control. Um, that's slow. Because, as I said, each day it's just not very productive, which is kind of contradictory to the idea of control. But I'm using the time to think. Um, I'm glad that I have the privilege to use the time to think and reflect. So, And thinking is yeah. also doing, let it not be said. Uh, yes, I, don't it is. I don't it know. I don't know. I mean, it's using up okay. energy. So. 
I think he uses a lot of energy. Exactly. Oh, so you're, you're doing <laughs> a lot of energy into that. Yeah, I, I just feel like um, ideas, traditional ideas of productivity, have held me back from seeing that. Uh, but I, th- I know I get a lot of my best work done from spending extensive time thinking about things before I do it. Mm. So, yeah. Love that. Lost my my days. Mm-hmm. Uh, besides my regularly scheduled mm-hmm. depression and yeah, existentialism um, and all to, those things, right? Today's apparently Tuesday. At Tuesdays are the new Mondays. I had no idea it was Tuesday. I thought it was Wednesday. It's when Ashley messaged like, "Oh, are we still doing this tonight?" I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> like every time somebody mentions time these days, like I get into a small panic and I have to yeah. run to a calendar to make sure I'm not losing my mind. Yeah, like I, like I saw a tweet yesterday where someone said something about Christmas, and I was like, "Wait, Wait hold what? on, hold <laughs> on, what month are we in?" And I had to run and check and oh wait, okay, we're in March. I feel the same way. I saw somebody yeah. talking about how we're just wrapping up qu- the first quarter of, of 2021. And I'm just like, what? I had to, I feel like I immediately decided to do math right then and there because I'm like, quarter means four, like March is the third month. How are we just wrapping up? Like how is how this tweet makes sense? I don't understand. Like I don't people need to just stop counting down the days the minutes the seconds it's just really <laughs> like it just it's I think, anxiety i think that gives people control. i think it gives people a sense of control yeah um yeah um so how i've been doing today is the second day that i am sitting upright and i'm very proud of that nice um love that for very, you very very proud of myself had not been able to do that last week because we love depression depression always just gives us the rest we need um (laughs) but yeah it's honestly this year has been an exhausting year and i think the toll of that has kind of or it kind of fell on me the last couple of weeks um Similar to Jereen, I've been doing a lot of, a lot of internal thinking, a lot of internal thinking. Wow. Wow. Anyway, um, doing a lot of thinking um, and introspection is the word I was looking for. Um, a lot of introspection about myself, my desires, um, the things that I need and require I don't think that I allowed myself to really think about that in years past um and I don't know something is pulling me towards that pulling me towards self um and pulling me towards doing a lot of self-work and sort of grappling with a lot of trauma (laughs) that um I might have recognized in the past, but did nothing about it. And they unfortunately came up a lot this year. Um, I saw it with how I interact with people and the different relationships that I have. And it kind of slapped me in the face like, whoa, there's some shit that you need to think about. Um, But is this linked to your mushroom trip? listen oh 
I was it going to mention like that. Been... <laughs> I was going... Mushrooms are really, really good at knocking you down. But at the same time being so fucking needed. <laughs> it's so needed. I was not expecting that, okay? So I tried... It would have been my second time trying mushroom cause, mushrooms. Because the first time I tried it, nothing happened. But the second time I had that, I had a full-on emotional breakdown. It was as if the gates were open and everywhere just flood wet. Like I was crying uncontrollably and I was also laughing in the middle of it because I was saying to myself, this is ridiculous. Why are you laughing? Why are you crying? Yo. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh because I feel like this conversation No laugh, it's hilarious. No, it's not hilarious what you think. This conversation is exactly why when I started reading this book, I was just like, this is not for me. <laughs> not right now. Not with everything that's going on. Not in a pandemic. Like, we need something light and and, and cheery. Like, not... We have a light this book next month. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too much. Um, wow. Um, so in today's episode, we'll be talking about All About Love, New Visions by... One and only Bell Hooks. This is the first time we would have been, would be reading this uh, author as a club. And uh, um, I'm jumping on to say, first and foremost, did not like it. I mean, okay, not did not like it, but not ready for this. You know, like sometimes when you go somewhere to eat and Every, like you go into a place and it smells really good and you want to try something but you're absolutely stuffed so you know that if you buy the food or if you eat it then you might like throw up um that's what I feel <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense but I'm too stuffed right now I've never heard consume... a book described that way <laughs> I'm too stuffed right now to consume something like this it would be too intense like I could buy it and then have it and then eat it later or consume, you know, like I, this is still the food analogy, so just work with me here, guys. But um, I can't. It was it it too much. It too much for me. And uh, she, this book, she goes hard from the first page, like the first letter on the page. As I open the book, she start licking for lick me for six, and I just never appreciated that. Like I never wanted that right now, and. Uh, so, um, <laughs> Madam Hooks, thank you so much for your service, but uh, maybe 2022 for me, personally, respectfully, that is. <laughs> That's too funny. <laughs> um, for those who don't know, All About Love is Bell Hooks' musings on love. Um, I'm gonna be real honest. Not loving it, and not for the same reasons as Ashley. Um, there is just there are just quite a few things that she shared that <clears throat> had me really squint at her a little, um, and also I felt like I desired more um, from her thoughts. I wanted a bit more. It felt a little. It it felt a little preachy at some parts for me. And um, at other points, it felt too much like a self-helpy kind of book. And I wanted more because she's Bell Hooks. Um, and maybe that was my fault. 
I think um, for me, I would say that it's very meandering. I don't, I think that's how I really describe yeah. it. It just, uh, and I think I felt when I was reading it, I felt the same way I felt when I read Rafsanjay's Congo. Like, I powered through that book, not because. I mean, I thought the content was good, but it was just so circular in its the content. Which Rocks and Gay book is that? Congo. Oh. It was just circular. That There was just one point that she was making, and then everything that... I mean, maybe that's what her book is. <laughs> A non-fiction book, at least, you have one point, and everything that you say has to always lead back to this one point. I don't know, but it just felt slow and not very explanatory or not like it's not very like there wasn't a lot of death for me for this book and uh, like Christina said you want more because it's this really renowned author that is highly respected everywhere and personally it's my first time reading um her so I I felt like okay well I need to know like <laughs> you put well I certainly put a lot of pressure on myself where like you need to read you know like certain authors of the literary canon that produce great black work blah 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 and she's a name her name comes up all the time and in the same company as other really respected authors and so I'm just like okay yeah this is good but it was a uh, heavy and I thought it was heavy in maybe it's the timing it was heavy in the wrong ways for me like yeah I'm being meandering now just saying the same thing I'm bell hooks well okay so I love the book I've read this book multiple times I disagree with a lot of what's in this book but I love it and the reason I picked it for book club was I think everyone knows Bell Hooks, but I'm yet to meet as many people who claim to know Bell Hooks that have actually read Bell Hooks. I think there is a bigger idea of Bell Hooks as a person than Bell Hooks as a theorist. That's so true. I think All About Love is very approachable, but at the same time, a lot of people shy away from actually reading theory. And I think theory can be very simple. It's philosophy. It's someone's thoughts. And the point of it is to read it and criticize it. I think what we have done wrong before in the past, we continue to do, is to hold up these ideas of who these theorists are And we kind of just take one or two quotes of what they've actually said without reading the full context and being open to criticize what their work is. So I wanted us to do that as a club. I actually really, really, really love this book, particularly the first couple of chapters. I think after a while, the book itself gets very boring, but I love her approach to love. I love the way she decided to tackle it. I... There are many, many philosophers who have decided to talk about love and she references a few of them, but I don't see many of them who have done it from the perspective of 
approaching it from her her perspective as someone who is a black woman, someone who is from the south of the US and someone from her generation and to frame it in a political way is something that I think we have dismissed a lot, I think. And I've been very, I use this book as a reference point, even though I don't agree with a lot of it, because I need to remind myself of the importance of love as an ethic, love as an action. Um, Transparency as something that's not just something we intellectualize, but something we actually practice in what we do in our day-to-day lives in very very simple things and these are things that I often forget these are things that I I'm I guess taught that you aren't supposed to do if you're if you want to be taken seriously if you want to be doing something that if you want to be leading something like love is not discussed in terms of the qualities that we use for political work in terms of the qualities we use for businesses in terms of the quality we use for any sort of thing where we're organizing with people outside of the home love is not something that we're taught to practice so in that framework I really appreciate this book as a reminder and it's something I go back to read particularly the first I think four-ish chapters very frequently and I would love for us to uh, I would love for us I would love for us to practice critiquing theorists and to do it regularly and not be scared of the big names. Um, so not being scared, especially the popular names, not being scared of the people that get quoted a lot to actually go back to the source material and criticize them. Because Bell Hook, something I do really respect about her is if she writes something, if she says something and later she learns more, she'll go back in interviews and said, I used to think this way. Now I think another way about it. And that's what we need. I think we need more people who are like that, who are not, who are ready to have bold ideas, share those bold ideas, but also have room to change those ideas as time goes on. Uh, so, yeah. I love the book, not because I agree with everything in it. I I think I agree with probably around 30% of the book itself. And I I thought it would have been more, I thought it would have been the most approachable bell hooks book for us to incorporate. And at a time like this, I didn't expect so many people to say that they're feeling like they're being dragged by the book. I was shocked to my core. I'm sorry, but I was shocked to my core. I was like, am I missing something? Maybe maybe I just need to I think you approached it as theory, Christine. So. Probably no. because one of the things that I I kept um desiring from the book was um, a lot more of her thoughts being grounded in some sort of political framework. And I don't think that she needed to use any sort of quote unquote big words or anything. But for example, the chapter that mentioned loving work and finding ways to um, to love your job, even if it's a menial job. And I was a little put off by that because I... I wasn't seeing anything, one, about work as survival, about labor as we understand it now as a site of exploitation and how that can be difficult 
um, for people to love or genuinely enjoy the spaces in which they work, especially because how we, again, how we understand work and productivity, it's not a space that attempts to make you feel joyful. It's not a place that is structured in a way for you to feel any sort of joy or love. And so I felt like the way in which she sort of glossed over that, or it felt like she glossed over that for um, a very surface kind of thing, that that really put me off. It really did. And in general, I, re I, I, I appreciate the discussion on love, but I think I would have wanted more of us trying to understand how we want love to be expressed to us. Um, I think that would have made it a little bit more interesting for me. Um, but definitely the biggest turnoff, quote unquote, for me was just it not feeling grounded in any sort of political framework or just not just not taking into consideration like <laughs> the many things that 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 come together to make um incorporating or creating a, a loving practice difficult where she's talking about work and um, she mentioned that you know not loving work is one of the one of the reasons for um physical and uh, verbal abuse in the home or something to that effect and i was completely put off by that because not that i don't think that that is um a part of the reasons um, why domestic violence exists or why abuse in general is, exists, but it was such a simplification of abuse and violence that I was really thrown off. I was like, girl, we are say like we really are say. And I was hoping that there would have been more after that, but then there wasn't, and I was very confused by it. I'm wondering if I'm remembering it correctly because when she talks about work and job, I remember her talking about jobs, menial jobs being depressing to the spirit and that jobs should be fulfilling and blah, blah, blah. In my mind, uh, I thought it was a call for people who organize these works to ensure that they uplift people's spirits and provide meaningful self-love i think she calls it for what they do i feel like you're giving her a lot of credit <laughs> i don't know that's just what i remember from it i really feel because it, it felt to me like it was more a call to the laborer to create means to love their job putting that additional labor on them to find reasons to love their job that's how i I interpreted that. Right, so I definitely never approach it as theory. I think I approach it as, uh, okay, I'm really excited to read something from her, Bell Hooks. And uh, I would admit that I approach it maybe kind of timidly because love is this big topic that uh, other people talk about, sing about, act about. It's in our day-to-day um, movings as just people and humans, but uh, we don't understand it a lot. And I approached it in a way where someone was going to teach me something. So I didn't approach it in a with a critical mindset. And so when I was reading this book and she was telling me these things, like I was just like, ooh, this is too much, or ooh, I'm not doing it correctly, or ooh, I'm not interpreting it correctly, I feel like. 
and that was a part of me being put off by it. Um, it just felt a little intense, and uh, like the family part, uh, I, just, I don't know. It was just too much, and I know I've been. I just keep repeating that <laughs> I'm not explaining it in in words, but uh, yeah, I can't really. I think it was. It's one of those feelings where it. I, like I felt it internally while I was reading it. Like I was reading it and I realized that my brows were knitted and I'm just like, I don't get this. Or like, I felt like I was not getting the message that she was trying to convey. And I really wanted to get the message. It's like when you're in a maths class and you just can't get what the teacher doing because whatever the topic is, is just really can't hard. Relate. And you just, can't. okay, sorry, Miss Math person but uh, <laughs> for normal people like I, I came out of my mother's womb not being able to do math at all like I just I cannot I cannot do math math and me are not friends and so it just felt really intimidating and I maybe I mean I think maybe that's a part of the reason why I didn't particularly like it because my approach was not one where it felt equal, like it wasn't like a, I feel like there was a very noticeable power imbalance. And it's weird to say that when you're approaching that book, I mean, I voluntarily bought this book. I said, yo, I'm excited to read this book, but there's something about who made this book that made me feel like I needed to approach it with a level of difference. I was just about to say that I feel like what Jerrine said is very correct in that I'm wondering if the people who I've seen um, reading this book, if there is some sort of a fear to dislike something about the book because it's somebody like Bell Hooks. Um, yeah, maybe. Like Jorin rightfully mentioned, there's there there's like this reverence that we have for certain people, mm-hmm. you know, the Audre Lords, the, the Tony um, Morrison, Zora Neale Hurston, them type of people, Tony yeah. Morrison, and we, you know, we deify them because they're literary gods, they're theory gods, and it should happen. Right, right, and that's exactly true because new information and new knowledge would have been gained since they were theorizing and new things would have needed to be added on to what they would have said as well as a lot of what they said would have been critiqued and while reading this I was trying to be mindful that this was written what 20 21 years ago um I was trying to be mindful of that but then a part of me was like um still there are some things in here that I personally felt um were quote unquote simple enough for her to again ground them in some sort of framework. I mean, she mentions control and she mentions domination, but in several of the instances, for me, she didn't like. I don't feel like she she really fleshed out how power, how control, how domination would impact these things, like fully impact these things. And at first, I was a little afraid. I, I will say that for true. No, fear isn't the word. It was more, hmm, you know? Is it but then, or hesitance? Um, I don't, hesitance. Hesitance is a much better word. I think I was a bit hesitant to call her out. But then after re- after a while, I'm going to say some things. I said, no, girl, you're really, you now make this easy. You now make it easy for, for, for read this book and not be critical. Um. 
And I felt, I while reading it though, before I picked it up, I felt it was necessary to be critical because I thought of it as a political book, even though it's, you know, when we think about love, we're not necessarily putting politics into it, but like, how can we not? We're political beings. So when I first picked it up, I, I thought of it as another political book, another book, um, as Jane rightfully said, about theory and analysis. And I didn't get as much analysis from it. I think you also have to be mindful that this is, I think, her 17th or 18th book for for adults, because I know she has she children. She must exhausted. So uh, when you approach this book, I think, and I see it a lot with writers where they don't often repeat a lot of the things. So I might also be approaching it, understanding Bell Hook's uh, position when it comes to when it comes to power, when it comes to control, when it comes to uh, all things bell hooks, her, her oppositional gaze. She loves those two words, domination yeah. and control. because, like, oppositional gaze and control is, like, her thing. So I, I don't know how much of the book would have been written with the assumption that you may have read her other works, but then this book is the second most popular bell hooks book, and it's one that a lot of people who don't know bell hooks would would reach for uh i wonder if it prompts them to read to more, read more. Of her stuff mm-hmm. maybe i don't know uh i i one of the books that i actually was considering doing uh crap where's the book the will to change men masculinity and love because uh, that's another book that is relatively popular. Yeah. And mm-hmm. What I like about it, even though, there, again, there's a lot to critique, what I like about this and All About Love is that they're topics that I don't see a lot written about from Black feminists. So love is something that gets written about by a lot, by a lot of white men philosophers they'll have libraries full of what love is and they define love and i and don't see enough black feminists writing about it yeah and think- even no even though this book could have come out I, I i still don't see a lot of follow-up i still don't see a lot of critical response to it and i don't see a lot of development in it in in feminist theory um in written feminist theory because of course we sing about love we 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 theorize about love in other forms. We I fantasize about that. it in our novels and all of that. All of that. So it gets discussed in those ways. But I haven't seen a philosopher sit down and flesh out it um, as well as I've seen it with All About Love. And that is even with all the flaws in this book. I found it, that was something that I actually found really interesting because I realized while reading that a lot of her references were male writers and I found that curious. I didn't, I didn't try to project anything onto it, but I just found it very curious that so many of her references about love um, in its different formats came from male writers and it made me curious about the existence of more women or queer women writers on love and whether they existed <laughs> and i it found exists it more no <laughs> yeah i found it very strange too and i guess the reason why i found it strange is because 
in the mainstream love is or love is categorized as a woman's domain or well somebody who I mm-hmm. a cis hetero woman really a cis hetero woman's domain it's it's them they do that because you know romance writers are typically cisgendered women so that that left a lot to be thought about and now that you've mentioned it that it's not there hasn't been a lot of theorizers strictly about love because i've seen it done where a lot of people now reference bell hooks when they talk about love but it's like a chapter Mm -hmm. in a book or Mm -hmm. something in a book uh but something i i what she made me realize is that we expect women to experience love and we expect men to theorize about it and that that's so strange Mm. to me in terms of something that's taken seriously and something i've been grappling with for the last year or two is the idea of self-help as a category and Mm. why i jerain i dismiss the idea of self-help books however if you give me a philosophy book on the same topic, if you give me a psychology book on the same and topic, and they're all the I'll same, it. but it's, it can be the exact same topic. It's just that oh, one might use more complex language, the other yeah. might not. And then, and then that to me is is that the is it the I don't know. I, I still haven't figured out my bias towards that, and I know that there is also a very gendered bias towards that as well because a lot of the fields um even also psychology books but a lot of the fields with philosophy tends to favor men which is why whenever someone asks no for a philosopher I will deliberately try to push more black women because we don't we'll have black women theorizing and thinking but we refuse to call them philosophers and that to me that's very true so, That's very true. And even if I don't agree with them, mm-hmm. we need that. We we need, I think, giving or being able to solidify, say, this black woman is reimagining this. And that's something black women, that, that's something everyone does all the time. Yet we tend to reserve the, the, the title of philosopher towards the white men that reimagine society and not to anyone else. One thing I I did appreciate, I guess on a personal level, is what Ashley would have mentioned about that. That for, I think it was the first chapter or the second chapter where she was discussing the family unit and and love. The best the two chapters unit. in the book. <laughs> I thought that I really thought that was worth sitting with on a personal level. I should say yeah. to really consider. Our ideas of love and how the how that was expressed within our families, but also it made me think that because my mother expressed love to me in a particular way, it doesn't mean that she isn't a loving person because she could express love to somebody else in a different way, and it, or or somebody could see the way that she treats me and think that she's loving. But anyway, the point is that <laughs> it really made me consider. It somehow led me to consider communal love which is something that has been important for me in the past couple of months, creating a community of, a community for yourself where love resides and what that looks for uh, looks like and how a lot of the times for me, 
it's the the kind of love that I didn't get or didn't see within my my family structure within my family unit is the kind of love that I crave in communal spaces and it really made me take a hard look at how I came to understand love what did I know love to be as a child like what did that really look like for me as a child did it just look like my mother providing for me? Did it just look like her ensuring that I had clothes to go to school, that I had lunch money, that I safe in terms of having shelter? Um, what does love really look like for me? How do I define that for myself? And how would I want love to be expressed to me? So that that was a really good chapter, I'd say. Not too bad. I'll give it an A minus. There's something about this book and uh, this conversation that is making me feel that uh, maybe my approach to certain types of books, particularly nonfiction, is a little bit timid. Um, because uh, I think that uh, because it has, uh, or it's supposed to be based in fact and in research, I mean, whatever, I kind of feel like this is also factual you go into it thinking that you don't know yeah and that this person is supposed to inform me of and so while i'm reading and i'm being informed and what i'm reading is is a direct like opposition to what i already know or what i have accepted um feels like some sort of confrontation and i think maybe that's why a lot of people would have felt dragged by this book myself included um, I think particularly the first two chapters and um, Christina actually while you were speaking I was thinking a lot about uh, I think I, I not, not I think I definitely agree with it, almost everything that you said about like searching for or thinking about what love means especially in a Caribbean context like when you have parents because she speaks a lot about how she experienced love as a child and I remember she talking about how she doesn't really know at what point she stopped feeling loved but she just know that it it just happened and there is this concept of like um <laughs> like a highly sensitive person and it's something that I feel like it's a concept that I've embraced because this world that we live in feels too emotionally charged in a negative way and sometimes I find myself feeling really overwhelmed by it and so when you have all of these different expressions of love because I think yes there's a lot of value in like for example your parents providing for you making sure you have clothes to go to school and to go to play and you know like you are fed and you are whatever like when you have those basic needs met it kind of feels like, why are you wanting more of anything else? And I know, I think I would have spoken about this in another podcast episode, but it's a, it's a concept that I think about a lot. Um, Maslow, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And uh, it within, when I was in school um, studying it, actually, it was the thing that blew my mind. Like, I was extremely captivated by this uh, theory and um, it was only after that I realized that 
it's something that he would have stolen from Native Americans and actually co-opted and just knock out the spiritual aspect of it. And it was actually like a, I don't remember what it's called, but the shape is not, he has it as a pyramid, but it's actually like two pyramids on top of each other, two triangles on top of each, on top of each other. Anyway, which would mean that like, both things like flow and it's transitional and like you know um it's just like a like a river like a ebb and flow of these needs that we we may need based on um what wherever we are in our lives and the way that it was presented by Maslow is like you need to always be climbing in order to get to this peak where you're gonna feel like yes you've reached this level of, okay, I am deserving of everything and uh, I have worked hard for it and I can now love myself because I've gone through these different steps and whatever it is. And for me, that's how my interpretation of it is. And so when I'm, sorry, I know that this kind of sounds a little tangential and I, I hope you guys are following me, but basically what I'm trying to say is that when I'm faced with the, uh, maybe like the work or even conversations of people saying that okay yeah no just because you have all of these things doesn't mean and you and you want more doesn't make you greedy or doesn't make you like ungrateful it feels like a huge kind of like threat to me or maybe not threat is the right word but just like a what I'm very confused by it and uh, it was a confusion that I that really kind of stuck with me throughout this book because I just felt like she was kind of like me where she wanted more and maybe she's just too sensitive and maybe this is just like you should have just like made do with what you have so there's there's a part of me that felt very vulnerable actually I think is the word reading this book because it showed parts of it. she was talking about things that I would have experienced but never really had the words to say and I know that she said it feels like very hush hush and I'm like no but you had all of this so it should be fine and you should be fine and you shouldn't want to feel like you're deserving of more because xyz and it just uh, again just too much because it, just feel confronted by stuff that I wasn't ready to be confronted by and so it just feels uh, it's it's uh, it feels a little draggish um yeah so and sometimes I know, we need that I don't know if I needed that or wanted that and so it just it disarmed me and uh, I don't I don't like that I don't like that so um <laughs> I know, like I said, all of that to say, I really hope I wasn't too, like, tangential, but um, it just kind of made me feel, basically, what I want to say, she kind of felt too sensitive for me, and I, I feel shocked saying that, because I wonder if it's some sort of self, no, like, not self, internalized type of thinking where I feel like I'm too insensitive, I'm too sensitive to want these things, and so... I need to call out somebody else who wants the same things. It just felt, I don't know, I feel like I should have, it felt like a therapy session. <laughs> I 
I don't know. I don't know if I want um, that from If you, a- when you read, I'm trying to remember this article she wrote. I think it's called What is Patriarchy? If you read that, she goes into detail about her her childhood and growing up and the sort of, let's call it abuse, really, that she would have experienced from her father and sort of the difference between how she was treated versus how her her brother or brothers were treated. So it, I don't think it's an incorrect interpretation to think that... Um, a lot of how she how she writes and how she would be ex- and a lot of what she would be expressing would be coming from her own personal experiences. Um, so yeah, I don't think you're wrong there. Um, what I wanted to say too is that one thing I do appreciate about this book is the deprioritizing of romance or romantic love, because it's so very easy for a lot of us when we hear the word love or think about love we think about romantic love we think about um anything that has to do with attraction that has to do with um that's probably a huge generalization i should probably just speak for myself but but actually no because when in 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 mass media a lot of um ideas around love center um cisgendered heterosexual relationships and what that looks like and fantasizing about that and um, creating ideas around how how one should navigate those sort of spaces. And I really appreciated that, at least with this book, it really deprioritized romantic love. I think romantic love, she spoke about that like in the later parts of the book, like on the tail end of the book. Whereas everything before, it's centered on love as community, love, familial love, love for work or love for any sort of labor that you might do. And I appreciated that, again, as somebody who is, as somebody who, again, at this point in my life, what I'm really trying to do is to not make romantic love the center of my life, but spreading that around and really focusing on community as the center of, of you know, of how I do things or communal love at the center of how I navigate this world and how I go about. And I especially want more people to think about that. And actually, I do think that... <laughs> Whenever I think about us as Jamaicans, I really think about the fact that we're we're really communal people. Like there are a lot of things that can be said about us, but said about us, but we're very communal and we actually practice communal love. It might not look like how we see it in North America or in different spaces, but we practice communal love and we practice community a lot here. And I think as queer people as well, we tend to gravitate to community, not just the <laughs> LGBT community, but we tend to we tend to try to find people who are like ourselves, where we can feel safe and where we can feel um, valued and 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 appreciated and supported. That's the one thing I can definitely say that I really appreciated about what this book attempted to do, sort of moving love away from romance and from sexual attraction, and especially as somebody who is on the A spectrum. It's really nice to talk about love in a way that isn't that isn't shrouded in sex and attraction and all of those feelings. 
moving it away from some from sexual attraction and moving it away from romance and moving into something more something something a little more sustainable and i think communal love is a lot more sustainable than our current understanding of love um and i also wanted to go back to something jerrine had said earlier about just approaching a lot of what we say with love um I'm thinking about it now, how, again, even with that work situation, imagine if the way that we shape productivity and that we shape labor is one that really takes people into consideration, like loving people in a way that says, I understand that you have all of these different needs, so let's shape the way that you work to fit into your life and not necessarily ask you to fit your life into productivity. Does that make sense? I hope it makes sense. But yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Bell Hooks is the person that says that the personal is political. A lot of Bell Hooks's theory is always goes back to her childhood, always goes back to the way that she was raised, the way that she was raised as a child and in the point that changes and then the expectations of what it's like for you to grow up and why... I, and, and I'm sure a lot of people, I've experienced this in Jamaica, where we grew up in a place that we grew up in a place that says that we value community. We we hear that it takes a village to raise a child. It, it we hear that you're supposed to be your neighbors, keep us, blah, 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 blah. But at some point you start getting punished for caring about community and not self. So yeah, idiot. Oh, you're not taking care of yourself first, that kind of thing. And it's not a matter that you don't take care of yourself, but we do as Jamaicans punish each other for caring about other people. Uh, we do it in many ways. We we can look at the pandemic that we're going through now and the way a lot of people have chosen to put themselves their comfort of wearing a mask over knowing that you can infect somebody else. Um, the way that just a huge layer of, I don't want to say, people say indiscipline, but I don't think it's indiscipline. I think it's a matter of us actually when in practice we tend to put ourselves over community. And I think the last year of the pandemic has shown me that Jamaicans grow up valuing community, but at some point you start being punished for valuing community. So for your own survival, you put yourself first. And that's really sad. So I, I too appreciate this call back for when we talk about community, we talk about love. And a lot of bell hooks, this book, I know, would have been written at a time. She's talked about this in interviews where this book would have been written at a time where a lot of the political movement was, you're almost being punished for looking at love. Um, not not punished in this but but isolated for looking at love. You were supposed to be looking at the hard facts, you're supposed to be cold, you're supposed to, because for some reason, looking at love is seen as being less in tuned or, or seen as being willy-nilly. So this book also came as a response to, to that, to say, no, we need to look at love and not just the romantic love, as, as Christina said. And 
I think that's always, I, I get so much clarity on what I want my love to look like post-romantic relationships. And then once I'm in a romantic relationship, it just becomes really foggy again. And then I, 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 I lose track of what I want my love to look like. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> so oh. um, I'm always thinking about the the different That's types of love. How smart and entitled and, and enlightened you think you are? <laughs> but like, I, I always, like once I'm in a romantic relationship, I tend to value that, that form of love a lot higher than other forms of love. Even yes. communal, communal love, familial love, which is something that I, I really wish... I didn't do, but I do tend to rank romantic relationships over that. Um, self-love, every every type of love. It's like I, and then once I'm out of that relationship, I go, oh wait, wait, you're supposed to be valuing it all these different types of ways. So they're they're so it's how do I create that balance and understanding of romantic love? Um, and a lot of it has to do with the type of media we consume. There aren't a lot of songs out there, love songs about your 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 sisters or your parents. Like we'll we'll hear the one and two Mother's Day song or something like that. But it's not it's not the norm. I think uh, I have this thing too, and I think this is why I I feel really vulnerable and timid while reading this because it made me realize how much I prioritize romantic love too. And that makes me really embarrassed. And you're not and ready to face that. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to face it, but I'm, em- I, and, and, and I'm embarrassed by it. I and I, but I don't know how to, I don't know how to. I too am embarrassed. <laughs> um, because yeah, like, same thing where post a romantic relationship where you're like okay well you have this clarity and you're like okay well this is what i want and this is what i won't compromise on and blah 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 and uh, i mean okay well actually not just romantic relationships but like um very personal familial relationships too so like maybe people who you'd live with so your parents or like your siblings or whatever it just comes at a time for me in my life where it feels very <laughs> um I don't know how to describe how it feels with that particular thing but uh, it's like uh, it feels it feels stifling um and uh, like I feel like I should be prioritizing another type of love so I, I feel myself like deep down I feel a lot of things while I was reading this book and it was just it was pulling me all over the place but in terms of uh, feeling like I want something more than what I have right now like I not just want like I need it but I don't have it and I don't know how to ask for it and I'm really um embarrassed that uh, I need it as well even though I know that I need it does that make any sense like I'm embarrassed that I need it but I know I need it, and I don't know how to ask for it. And uh, I just, uh, I think how I approach my relationship, especially outside of romance, so my relationships outside of romantic and familial, like immediate family, is that I need to have it together before I can go and seek it. 
So like a community, for example, like I don't depend on the community to hold me and to just like be there for me or allow me to be me in this like very maybe not as put together type of way. Like it's like I don't I don't know if I'm making any sense. You feel like you need to be whole? Yes, yes. But then you come to like when you think about love you think it's it's like people portray it as yeah, like very unconditional, like it's fine. But I, I think I approach it where no, I need there's a level or a standard that I need to be before I go and burden somebody else who is not my family or who like not a romantic partner who has agreed to sign up onto this thing with me. I don't know, it just feels very and I know that all sorts of relationships are transactional and we don't I don't necessarily look at, at that in a bad way. But I um it has uh, it's shown me my colours and I don't like the picture that I see. Like I'm thinking about the relation the group chats that I have with some of my friends that I mean they're talking and I'm just silent because I have nothing to say because I'm not having a good day and I feel like I need to I need to like come in with like great news and all the time it needs to be me. I need to I put a lot of pressure on myself to be right for them just so I can love them and so they can love me. And uh, like sometimes I guess the other day I got a call from my friend and she was just like, I'm just checking in, you know, we haven't spoken in a little while and that made me feel so good. And I just, and then immediately I felt embarrassed because I don't do that because, and I and I haven't done that in, well not do that, I haven't done that in a really long time because I've been in such a shit, shitty mood for so long. And so like, it's like, I can't get out of my own head to love somebody else and that makes me embarrassed. I don't... <laughs> guys, I don't know if I'm explaining this correctly. I'm so sorry. But it just made You're me... perfectly fine. Keep going. <sighs> it just showed me that I have a lot to work on. I think what it is that I... I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but I think that's the, the, the feeling of being like a little exposed and a little jagged because... There's just so much that I feel like I'm not doing, oh God, I'm going to say correctly. And and again, I know that comes from my, um, I guess, respect for this person who is some critically acclaimed like literary icon. Um, and I just kind of feel like, okay, well, if this is how it's presented, then it needs to be this way. And I feel there's a rift and I'm not sure how to um go about reconciling all of that. So I feel a little confused because I don't know I mean, as I didn't finish the book just yet, I'm not done, but I haven't seen a lot of like recommendations or like suggestions on how you can approach it in your life. It's just like okay, well this is how it is. Um, I don't know if she does that further down in the book, um, but where I'm at now, it's like she's explaining, she's telling her piece, and uh, so I, I, I think I want more like suggestions of how to show, and then I, I want to broaden my own view of like how I can show love too. I feel like it's very, 
if it's a romantic partner, you know, you kiss them and there's like certain types of stuff that you do. If it's your family, what do you do? Like you, like, I don't know how I show love to my mother. Like, I feel like I try, I do it in my way, but I don't, my own way, like to show her that I appreciate her. But I don't know if she connects with that. And so it's just this, there's a lot of confusion of like how maybe I'm just not doing it right. And so that makes me feel, that makes me go even deeper in my shell because I'm like, okay, well, if I'm not doing it right, then maybe I should just not do anything. And it just, it, it just feels very, a lot. Um, yeah, I get that. Um, I completely get what you're saying. Um, and I think we obviously all relate because, uh, again, I would have mentioned earlier that I'm really, really trying my best to remove romantic re relationships and love from the center of my life because I realize that uh, for me, it's so easy to get locked into that because of those ideas around um, love that we would have had where you know you find this one person and this one person is the only person that you can be vulnerable with and this one person is the only one who will accept you for who you are blah 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 and because I am a psychological mess um, what that also looked like for me was that I I locked into one person as somebody that I can be vulnerable with because I'm not gonna be vulnerable with anybody else. One is enough. And so even friendships that I had, I kept them at arm's length. Like there was always a there was always a wall between me and my friends. They didn't see it, but I knew I know that there's a wall there. And more recently I've just been thinking about how fucking unfair that is. <laughs> Um, and just ridiculous in general, but just really unfair. And it's a disservice to myself as well, because having, having this unit of support, and it now for be like 10 people or whatever, like whatever outside of your romantic relationships is so important and so critical. And it wasn't until drawing nearer <laughs> to queer women especially that I felt how valuable and necessary it is especially as a queer person to commune with other queer people to to have a space where a space outside of your romantic relationship where you can really shed your skin where you can really feel like just feel safe and feel wrapped up and feel feel okay to not be okay just I don't know just being yourself whatever that self is in the moment and I think that we also have to remember too um without being too hard on ourselves is that uh, we're working within these uh, these sort of structures that dictate almost every small detail of our life so patriarchy as a system or well cisgender heterosexual patriarchy <laughs> operates in a way that makes us want to value romantic relationships more than anybody else makes us want to alienate everybody else except for a romantic typically male partner and again the good thing about this book 
what it tries to what I think it does in terms of, or well, what it wants to do, is really having us or causing us to look at those things. And I don't think, and embarrassment is a fine and okay feeling um, to feel. I think that's pretty normal and natural. But I think what's even more important is moving beyond that embarrassment and having some compassion for ourselves. And I'm saying that as if I know how to have compassion for myself, but we're learning. Um, but yeah, moving beyond that and have some compassion for ourselves and just remember that there are a lot of external forces that are working against us um, to or working to shape our perspective and how we navigate that life. But there's also so much more new information that's coming out that's allowing us to shift from that so like you said Ashley with your friendships you feel like you have to be on like you have to put on that mask of yeah man I'm good we're just having fun this is a fun little thing um we're just sharing jokes and then not knowing how to love your mother or what your mother needs as love and I think honestly it's because we don't have those conversations like we don't have and I, I can't say definitively why but we don't necessarily have those conversations with the people that we want in our spaces like hey how do you want to be loved it's a weird question obviously <laughs> but like really having those lengthy conversations with people that you want in your space to really look at how we want to be supported how do you want me to show up for you as somebody who claims to be your friend um, since we want to have some sort of a long-term connection? Here's how I want you to show up for me. Here's how I want you to be present for me. Here are my boundaries. These are the things that I really don't like. Here, These are the things that make me anxious. These are the things that make, that make me shut down. What are the things that make you shut down? What are your boundaries? And also allowing time and space to think about that. So I think even though she didn't necessarily give pointers or recommendations, and I don't think that that was the aim of this book anyway, um, it's, I think there was enough there for us to, as the as they therapists on Instagram would say, sit with it. Um, and just talk to the talk to people like talk to the people in your space if anything from the from those two good chapters in the book it's that i guess because of the because of parent child relationship and because of how parents see their children not as human beings but as their property we don't get to have those conversations with our mothers and our fathers and our you know whoever we don't get those conversations where we can say hey mommy i'd rather you not do this um, I'd rather you not shout at me when you're angry. I'd rather you talk to me. We don't get the opportunity to do that. And so now that we're adults, we kind of do, but we're also scared to do that because we never learn it. But yeah, it's something more worth doing. Can I tell you how weird it was when, I think it was you, Christina, who asked a few months ago, like, oh, how can I show up for you? And I was just like, what? <laughs> it was so hilarious. So was like, I don't know. <laughs> I've never been asked. Like, have you eaten? Can I get you some food? What? It's just so strange because it's like you say that you love people and you want to love people. And I think 
I think because um, love is so talked about in the romantic sense, um, how to do it, how not to do it, all the ways that it's wrong and you hear so much, it's easier to have these conversations in romantic relationships. So when these questions come up, and even then it's still hard to have these conversations, but somehow it's more normalized to have these conversations in romantic relationships. But when your friend just says, hey, how can I show you that I love you? You just go, what? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> what are you asking? I know that me? you love me, but I don't know how, I don't know. It was just so strange to me. It was so refreshing, but also so strange to me. And yeah, and I have read this book multiple times and every every single time I pick it up, I'm just like, well, shit, you still have not learned. So, Yeah. This book is yes. a five-star read for me because I, I I continue to learn from it. I continue to question a lot of it, not just the contents of the book, but what happens in my mind long after reading it. So if it's the book itself, I like that rating system. Object, eh, I'd probably give it like three stars or so. It meanders down to the end. I don't feel it dying. That's interesting. But the way that the book, leaves me thinking about it for years and I know that I still haven't learned from it even though intellectually I agree with it it's a lot harder for me to practice on that level like this book is a great teacher for me and it will get a five-star read yeah maybe when I actually learn my lessons it'll probably go back to the three star <laughs> that it deserves scream I appreciate that rating system I really do um, yeah, I think I think this is a great book for a lot of people to read. Um, perhaps not just because of the... No, actually, yeah, because of the thoughts that it can spark. And I think really if a lot of people go into it a bit more critically. And just to say being critical doesn't mean that you're going to bash the book. <laughs> Um, it just means that you're you're allowing your own well for me anyway you're allowing your own thoughts to to be developed from what is being said and sometimes those thoughts are disagreeing with what's written in the book and sometimes you are agreeing but it's it's I think it's useful to be critical with a book like this um, yeah it's it's really useful and that's all I have to say on all about love. I feel like I might read this book again. I'm actually almost finished. I haven't finished it completely, but I feel like it's the kind of book that I'd read again because it honestly gave me a lot to think about. Um, again, didn't like much of it, but it gave me a lot to think about, and it really, it 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 forced me to push myself in terms of thinking critically and trusting my own thoughts as well um trusting myself as a fear as a fear theorist that's the word trusting myself as a theorist um trusting that i too can be a theorist um not just of my own life but of many things and i think you would have mentioned it earlier jerry in that we often um, we reserve the title theorist and philosopher for certain types of people and certain kinds of people. But please remember that your grandmother is a theorist, your mother is a theorist, they're philosophers, um, and you can be too. Yeah. 
And this is where we wrap up. Actually, I think what can happen now is Ashley maybe... Ashley hasn't given her ratings yet. Oh. oh. I'm, I'm going to um, not give a rating. I'm not giving any ratings for this book. I don't think it would be fair. I'm not done with it. And I don't think I was in the best mindset reading this book. So I don't... I think... It's not it's not gonna be a fair rating. Let me just leave it at that. So maybe Actually I think I'd give it a reading. two two point five. Yeah, maybe um in the future I'll have a rating, but right now it's N A for me. So if you're a part of the Rebel Woman Lit book club then you know that after every book club pick that we create a playlist based on the feeling that we get from each book uh, so we're doing a really cool new thing here because we're cool people <laughs> by sharing some of the songs that we've been listening to with you uh, feel free to share some of your songs with us too um so i've been I'm going to talk about a song that I haven't been listening to, but I thought it was interesting in terms of the context of the book itself. Mm -hmm. uh, her name is Sarah Watkins, and I found her on the NPR All Songs Considered podcast, but she was talking. She did a whole album, a whole children's album. So just re she's singing a lot of classics that she grew up with from TV, from Disney, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so there's Somewhere Over the Rainbow, um, that kind of stuff. Um, but she wrote this song for her child. And what I felt, it's a very, it's very cute. I'm going to post it in the chat. Um, I don't know, I'm going to post it in the Telegram chat because this might close. And the song itself is it's very short. It's very cute. But she said in the interview that she said, I love you like five times in the song. And she felt like she could only say that because it was a song to her child. If it was a romantic song, it would have seemed as cheesy or clingy. And I thought that was just so interesting how even if you feel something in a romantic relationship, even though we prioritize romantic relationships, there's still this guardedness that should come with it. Um, so even if she felt like she was writing a romantic song and she wanted to say I love you five times in a row, she wouldn't have written it that way. But she felt more comfortable singing it to her child. And I was just like, that, that's so that's interesting. interesting. Yeah. Because we, like, unconditional love is something that is, I don't know if it happens, but it's expected in parent-child relationships. But then the relationships that you choose, that unconditional um brass big expression of love is 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 not cool <laughs> it's not cool to be like that unless you're like 60 years old and it's cool and cute um but anyways i just shared a song it's called night singing which is a song she she sang she made she wrote for her child and sings to child i'm trying like every night and then ended up recording it during the pandemic and then the kid now gets really excited every time he hears the song because it's just like, oh my gosh, that's my song. And I was like, oh, that's, that's so adorable. <laughs> yeah. But I love the album overall. You can check out the album. It's really calming and cute. And it's 
nostalgia in a way that's not too heavily sugar-coated. It's like a nice mellow type of children's album. Uh, Yeah, but that wasn't the song I wanted to share with you. The song that I've been (laughs) annoying my neighbors with is The Weather Station's Robber, which is an amazing... I love the song itself. I think the recording is beautiful. The instrumentals are captivating and... The voice reminds me, her voice is very, oh, what's her name? She reminds me of Karen Carpenter. Her voice reminds me of Karen Carpenter, but it's very modern. And the, the video is very strange. The, the lyrics are great. I, I just love the song and I've been annoying my neighbors with it. So that's the song, The Weather Station Robber. The Weather Station is a group? The Weather Station is the name of the group. And oh, robbers. You know, say when you say it, I'm like the weather station. Are you, yeah, you know, white people just group. listening to the weather station? No, white people group named the weather station. Cute. The song is a robber. It's robber, and I love it. Thirty is really cool as well, but robber is, is just so beautiful. The arrangement and every, the the instruments. It's mm-hmm. it's intoxicating. I wish it was longer. I've been listening more recently. Well, the one song that I've been listening to a lot recently is Cinderella Part 2 by Chica. I've never listened to Chica before, but I was introduced to her by a friend. And I fell in love because um, Chica is bisexual, if I remember correctly. And this song, Cinderella, is her singing about a girl. And I thought it was just so cute because... I've been I've I've been wanting a lot more love songs that center women, women singing about women, or more just more queer love songs in general. And finding this was like, oh, and it's just really it's really cute. I think you guys should listen to it. Make a serotonin right now to get into that. I already sent it in the group. I don't know it. Oh. <laughs> it's. So cute to me. It's so really cute. Actually. The graphics yeah. are the really cute. I haven't listened yeah. to it yet. Yeah. Okay, so my music has been all over the place. Like, um, all of yesterday. No, yesterday was one that. Yeah, all of yesterday, and I think the day before, I was listening to Dexter Dops. Why I don't even listen to Dexter Dops like that, and I'm always on. <laughs> I jump on trains really late. I know a lot of people liked breaking news by him, but I just never got over the whole poison part. And now I'm just like, yeah, poison him. Like, whenever that part comes, you won't hear me. I harmonize like I'm a part of this group. Like, it's great. So there's that. That's, that's so hilarious. But uh, um, I recently discovered Bandcamp like a few months ago, and I don't know why nobody told me about this. Like, it's so good. Because it's like decades old. Listen, <laughs> That's why nobody talks about it. Listen, Everyone knows. I never know. I never know. I know. I'm just like, I mean, I don't follow a lot of people on there, but um, <laughs> I subscribe to the newsletter so I would get like fresh music and who is on the homepage and whatever, whatever. And they recommended this, uh, this woman called Jackie Venson. And actually, ironically, I guess, 
um, she has this limited release project called The Love Suite, <laughs> which is really funny for this episode. But this entire album slaps. It's so good. Jackie Benson, The Love Suite. Sweet, sorry. Check it out. And, okay, so two more things. Because, like I said, all over the place with the music. But Jazz Elise. Can we just have a moment of silence for her? Because the EP that she just released, like, it's gold. It's, it's really so, nice. It's really nice. No skips. It's have a nice so vibe. good. It's so, so, so good. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Favorite song? Ooh, hard, but elevated after three and straying. Those three are really good. I never really liked radio, but then I, it grew on me. And then the others are good too, but yo, great. And finally, two days ago, I downloaded this app called Mixcloud. And again, how comes nobody told me about SoundClown's cousin? Actually, like, did you have the internet like <laughs> 10 years ago? No, clearly not. 20 years ago? I, I don't clearly know. not. Nobody told me about SoundCloud's cousin and I'm living for it. Living for the, this app. Are you going where... to discover Reddit in a few months? No, I have she Reddit. She sure will. I have Reddit. <laughs> I mean, I go on and off with it. Like, I'm always blown away whenever I'm on Reddit. I'm like, oh my God, people are talking about so much. The stuff. point is. <laughs> The point the is, point you're is discovering that, things that. The point is that I'm a, I'm a existed. I'm a dinosaur when it comes down to tech. But you found it. That's the that's the important thing. Yeah, the mixes are fire, man, and I really like when I have no clue about an app, and it's like one of those apps where you have to follow people, so you really have to try. You're you're in the wilderness trying to like figure out who to follow and who is good and who's not good and who fits your vibe and what about I follow two people right now on Mixcloud and I'm bobbing to their mixes and it's really good. I like that it's a platform that DJs just share their work and like sometimes these are whenever I find things like this these are the 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 moments where I'm really happy to be alive and I know that sounds really small but uh, it's just sometimes the world just feels so expansive so just like anything is possible and even though this this app is 10 years old I'm so psyched by it because it just kind of feels like wow who would have thought that this existed I didn't I know it has blown my mind and my world and I'm I have this thing that I'm just like that's feeding me serotonin for a couple weeks which is great so that's my music content right now i also want to mention that i've been listening to a lot of aretha franklin because i watched um i think it's the history channel the history channel did a sort of limited series biopic on her with cynthia erivo as um aretha franklin will reserve my comments on that it's not bad it's not bad but anyway um it really it somehow pushed me to listen to a lot more aretha franklin because she actually is a a musical genius um and her voice is just exceptional and i also discovered for myself this woman um madison mcfearin and her voice is just 
gorgeous. There's this song she sings called Insane. And let me tell you, let me tell I'm a sucker for really good blending of voice and instrument. And like when we can feel the instrument in our body, Manose is a good song. And that's a good song. So yeah, that's it for me. Um, also, Jasmine Sullivan is fantastic. And uh, her pick up her pick up your feelings, Jasmine Sullivan. Oh, uh, pick up her feeling. Pick up your feeling. Sorry, is the name of the song. And uh, I know she made a comeback earlier this year, and she did like a. I don't remember, but she did something with Ari Lennox, and I love Ari Lennox. She has a special place in my heart. Um. So yeah, but. Again, I'm just blown away. Sometimes when it, you know, this is how I know that I really like music because whenever I listen to music or whenever I listen to new music, I'm just like, this is gonna sound a little morbid, so trigger warning. But I'm like, this is so great, and I know that I would have missed this if I was not alive to witness it so i'm happy that i'm alive to witness it it's it makes me feel grateful that i can experience it Uh, i get that i get that feeling i completely understand that feeling i feel that way i just sent the song in the group chat um a diana ross performance live at Amanson. I'm pretty sure I'm saying that wrong. Amanson Theatre. Um, what I, I was listening to James Baldwin's, James Baldwin's son put up his entire, his dad's entire records on, or grandson, one of them, record in a Spotify playlist. So I was just listening to it and James Walding listens to a lot of really good old black Christian music or gospel music or whatever. But he has the Diana Ross album on it and I've never heard it before and it made me miss live music, but also miss live music that I haven't experienced ever. Yes. Diana Ross is an amazing comedian and... I've never experienced live music in that way. I've only ever watched it or listened to it on vinyl records where the artists from start to finish, their entire show is a proper show where it's like, I'm giving you comedy and this is going to go into a story. So the song that I sent you girls, um, I'm going to send you the song that comes right after it as well in the album where she's singing about her daughters, not letting her, want to perform that night and then she goes into the next song by saying okay the girls were only okay if I if I performed tonight if I sang this song or told them this story and it was just such a great experience and I was just like holy shit there is so much more to life that I haven't experienced yet I have never experienced a live performance like this I've yeah and I don't see artists performing in that way anymore I've only heard of it where artists were needed to be funny and they they did a whole set and show and everything was just brilliant. So if you can, I would recommend checking out that album. And yeah. And I, I 
I think I like Diana Ross live performances more than I like her recorded albums now. Cause I've never I wasn't really a fan of her studio stuff. But this live performance is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. That's how I feel about Tina Turner having so I watched um the new documentary that HBO released um called Oh I Tina. haven't seen that, but Tina is an amazing yeah, live performance. I feel like everybody should watch it. Um but watch it with with some care for yourself it's it made me extremely emotional and not just the the parts of her life where she was discussing her abuse which was really awful a lot more awful than the and everyone knew about it everyone knew about it i've always found that that's so strange about tina turner everyone knew about it and but like Outside of that, it was seeing her because one of the things that I really loved about this documentary was it had a lot of ar- archival footage, like so much archival footage of her performing and her in different um, places and parts of her life. And seeing her perform like in her element, I got Beautiful. so emotional. If I could just see this, the energy that yo, she has, yo. like, it's, 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 it's something else. Like, everyone talks about, mm. like, Michael Jackson performances, and great, yes, great. Sure. But I don't think we talk enough about some of these women and their performances. When Tina, Tina Turner's Turner, energy, like, uh, there's no way you not smile <laughs> watching her and perform. Like, so, and, 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 like, the way she dances, right? It's very clear that I don't know, like it comes from somewhere within her. Like it's not, it's not anything that's necessarily rehearsed or any sort of dance move that you could readily see somewhere. Or you can go, oh yeah, I've seen that dance move somewhere before. Like it's pure her, just her, just energy, just whatever she was feeling at the time and releasing that. And it just, mm, I marveled. Like seeing those footage, I marveled. I'm like, I wish, I wish I could have seen her. But then also remembering all that would have gone on before she came on the stage is also an, an added layer of yeah, she 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 thanks everyone for listening to our podcast on All About Love by Bill Hooks. Please remember to share this episode with us. Um, Take screenshots, put them on Instagram, put them on Twitter and tag us in them and continue the conversation and let us know what you think both about the podcast and about the book. Um, Rate us on iTunes, give us five stars because honestly our podcast is amazing. This is quality content. Um, Remember to follow Rebel Woman Lit on Facebook, Instagram and on Twitter. And also remember that you can donate to Rebel Woman Lit and the work that it's doing. It's doing amazing literary things. So go on the website and you'll see different options on how you can donate to the work that's being done here. Uh, Yeah. Bye, everyone. Stay lit and see you at book club. Bye. And we're clear. Okay.